We are thrilled to have the Sparkle Twins as continuing sponsors for season four. Sharice and Sharicia Williams are identical twin sopranos from Brooklyn, New York, who began their business by creating customized Swarovski crystal-covered shoes for their fellow divas. Their business expanded pre-COVID to include mouth masks for musicians. In addition to protecting yourself from unwanted germs and conversations, the masks have cute phrases on them like, keeping my germs to myself, or I am on vocal rest. To check out their full line of products, visit www.sopranotwins.com forward slash shop and follow them on socials at The Sparkle Twins. Welcome to season four of My So-Called Opera Life, a podcast for opera singers by opera singers. After three seasons of incredible conversations, the podcast has grown and changed much like ourselves. We're still on a mission to connect, inform, inspire, and empower musicians at all levels and stages of their career. Because as we continue to hear from you and watch the opera industry struggle to change and grow, community, connection, and transparency are as important as ever. We're here to spill the tea on the inner workings of the opera life, to celebrate the artists who unapologetically create amazing, non-traditional paths for themselves, and to inspire each other to sing freely, make art truthfully, and to work fearlessly for a more equitable industry. I'm Elise. And I'm Marcel. And we're two sopranos currently living our best so-called opera lives. Welcome to this week's episode of my so-called opera life. Yes, I am very excited to share this interview. Um, I was really sick when we recorded it, unfortunately. (laughs) It was my month or three-month-long illness. Ugh. That we, I think, touched on a little bit last right. time we, we talked. We did. We did. Yeah, I remember you were coughing a lot. So I'm sure, as you all know, it is cold and flu and craziness season right now. So um, bear with us as Elise is sick in this episode. <laughs> um, we sent her all the healing vibes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so Carrie Ann, she works for Opera Delaware um, as an administrator, as the VP of Community Engagement. So Carrie Ann Otano is our guest this week. I have been a, you know, a fan from afar for a very long time. So I was so excited to get her on the podcast. Um, I see she has made the transition from being a full-time opera singer to working in opera administration. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she has this wonderful conversation with us where she shares her story about what that process looked like. And like, she has some real plans for the future of opera, which I think are so exciting. Yes. If you don't follow her on Instagram, definitely follow her because after Marcel introduced me, after you introduced me, I started following her and now she's like my personal hype girl. So it's great. <laughs> I am obsessed with her. <laughs> she is a whole vibe. Um, yeah, I just want to like, I want to be her best friend in real life and not just like feel like she is through my Instagram screen. But <laughs> um, yeah, so she had offered us tickets and I couldn't go because... I was sick, but um, to Upper Delaware, but um, I loved getting to talk to her about her kind of path um, away from singing and all the ways that she's working within Upper Delaware and the goals for the future outside of, you know, Upper Delaware of just changing mindsets, changing mentality, making a more equitable, you know, open, transparent, kind Right. Place. Right. Kindness was key, I feel like. Right. Right. She's she is on a mission to just change the culture within opera companies, within opera arts admin. You know, she is of the mindset artists are first. The artist first mindset is my favorite one. (laughs) (laughs) Because, yeah, I mean, definitely I've worked at some places where you as the artist who is making the art, who is making the show happen, sometimes feel like an afterthought and you know, because she had that experience herself in some places, like she is really just like her primary goal is to mostly change that culture because yeah. people first. I mean, sometimes we feel like I think a product or a repla- and a replaceable product at that. Like, mm-hmm. great, you're singing good. That's all we really care about. You're here and we don't care about anything else. So it was really nice to see not only hear those things, because I think we talk about them all the time and we... I think, try to put ourselves in places where that is the mindset, but to hear specifically how she's doing that in the workplace, for example, like sitting in on the rehearsals, even as a VP, 
you know, not as a creative, like not as a creator of the art that day, you know, but still finding it important to be in the room and, and connect with the people that are there. Right, right, right. And that to just, really nice. yeah, I mean, you'll hear about her approach and it's, it's a breath of fresh air. And, you know, I think this is the first arts admin from an opera company we've had on the podcast. But we had, um, well, yeah, we had a conductor. We had a conductor who's, you know, music director in Opera Southwest. But um, yeah, this is our first. But this like, is like a different. This is a different side of the opera company equation. Yeah, and I think like honestly, like some of the things she talks about just give me really great ideas for like how I can then also advocate for myself when I'm working with other companies that don't mm-hmm. have someone as dope as her like yeah. hyping up the artist. Yeah, <laughs> totally. No, it's really great, and just because. Um, you can't see her, and I don't know if we mentioned this in the opera podcast, but she has amazing nails. Amazing and nails. I have, a, I have amazing nails today. The most beautiful <laughs> you do. I was admiring them when I came in. Uh, you are more way way more on top of the nails game than I am. <laughs> Inspired by Carrie Ann. Yes. So yes. we hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed talking to Carrie Ann. And thank you to Carrie Ann for coming on. Yes, we so enjoyed having you come to talk with us. Um, we hope that we get come to be friends with us. Yes, we can continue <laughs> the conversation. Yes. Carrie Ann, thank you for being with us today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself sure. and your current role, which I'm so excited to dig into. Sure. Uh, so I'm Carrie Ann Othanio. I'm originally from Long Island, New York. Uh, I now live in Wilmington, Delaware, where I'm the vice president of engagement with uh, Opera Delaware. That makes me like second in command at the company, which is exactly the vibe that I want because I want to change opera. I want to change how opera is perceived in the community and I want to change how opera singers are treated. So After high school, I lived in Italy for a year. I went to undergrad at IU and got my master's at Manus and then was a professional singer for about 10 or so years. And in that time, I got to achieve so many of the things that were this bucket list dreams that I had. I was so grateful. I had so much fun, but also I was not remotely authentic. And I realized this when I was at the Met and I was having these horrific panic attacks that I didn't, I knew I couldn't tell anyone at the Met mm-hmm. and I knew I couldn't tell anyone on my team, you know, my managers and stuff. Cause I thought they'll just never get me jobs again. They'll think I'm not prepared. I'm not qualified. I'm not comfortable. So that took a lot of soul searching for me. And a lot of, fortunately I had a really great team of people who supported me. I was working for a company at the time that gave me some time off to get therapy and get help. And then I realized how many singers don't have a team like that. And so in 2018, I started really advocating for singers for mental health care. Obviously in the, in the pandemic, we had a lot of conversations about the changes that need to happen in opera. I was involved in a lot of those conversations, but didn't feel like I had, I don't feel that singers necessarily have the power or authority to make those changes when you're only on a gig for a short amount of time. And I think every opera company needs to have an artist advocate, which is really how I view my position at Opera Delaware as someone who connects with the artists, who really listens to them, that they know that they can confide in. There's such a a mythos that you have to be this package and that you have to kind of strip the humanity out of yourself to be an artist. Mm -hmm. I remember coming up and being told, you're not gonna be able to go to family funerals. You're not gonna be able to go to weddings. Like this is your, this is your job. And it might be your job, but I'm a human being first and my humanity is what makes me a great artist. So I honor that in the artists that come through Upper Delaware. I want to build a community there. And then I want to take over the whole damn industry with it because it should be better for singers. We yeah. love it. Yeah. I yeah. love it. I love it. Oh my God. You're, so, you're speaking my language. Yes. <laughs> and it, it's great that you, you know, saw as a singer that you didn't have those, that voice. Mm-hmm. So what was, what led you to this role at, at Opera Delaware? Mm-hmm. So I, first I started advocating a lot and I was, you know, I was just kind of injecting myself into conversations wherever I could to talk about things like obviously mental health care, to talk about the discrimination that I think young families, particularly young mothers experience when they when they stop getting hired by regional opera houses because of the expense, you know, the stigma that's that's attached to really just having any human qualities <laughs> when you're an opera singer. So I was advocating a lot. I was speaking about it a lot. And I was working at Opera Memphis as the head of marketing and PR for them for the two years, 2020 through 2022. 
my very best homegirl, Claudia Chapa, was singing at Opera Delaware in Marriage Figaro. And uh, Brendan Cook was saying, you know, I'm just looking for someone who wants to be like a leader, a disruptor. I'm looking for someone who's like really hype about this. And she was like, you're using all the words that describe Carrie Ann. All Carrie Ann ever wants to do is talk about changing opera and get real hype about it. Right. So Brendan and I started talking. He didn't have a job that he was looking to fill. But we started talking on the phone and talking about what our aspirations are and our goals are for what this industry should mean to the community and to artists. And we kind of created this position together because we believe in the same things. And that I, I personally believe that singers are incredibly capable and intelligent people who, can, who are problem solvers. They're trained to be problem solvers on their feet. So I think there's no job that I can't do in this industry. Maybe that's my own hubris. <laughs> I think there's no job I can't do as long as I'm coming at it with a good team and my enthusiasm. I think I can learn how to do anything. So mm -hmm. I'm vice president now. That's a wild thing to say. But mostly I have a great team of people who are excited about it. And I have a great, a great boss and co-leader in Brendan. And we're just gonna we're just gonna take the world by storm, I think. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. So you guys are situated in a really interesting community of Wilmington, Delaware. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're kind of like right on that bleeding edge of okay, so Wilmington, Delaware is primarily, mm -hmm. you know, people of color populated city. It's mostly a black population, mm -hmm. but also has a very wealthy white population, and they are the opera growers. For sure. And like, I know that like the community engagement has been a hard thing for them. Mm -hmm. So how, how has it been? I like, I'm seeing now all the community work you guys are doing since um, the last couple of years. And it's like so encouraging. And what is, what is that like to start to build those relationships in the community? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of times we, there's a lot of lip service in opera that people say, we want diversity. We want everyone's welcome at the opera. The opera is for everyone. But the fact of the matter is that if you come to the opera and you're shushed, or if you come to the opera and you're, as my, in my personal family, when my mom came to the Kennedy Center doors to, to see me, she came to the, the stage doors and they said, oh, Miss Otano, of course, come in. And my dad came, who's black, and they said, oh, sir, you're supposed to wait in the back. They didn't even, they just assumed that he was in the wrong place. That's the, that's what I'm trying to breakthrough mm -hmm. is that it's not an intention to be hurtful. It's not an intention to be exclusive. Even when donors with the best intentions turn and shush someone, because that's the, that's the prerogative. That's how we're supposed to behave. Your cell phone's supposed to be off. Making anyone feel like they don't belong in the space is the fastest way to guarantee that they're never coming back. Mm -hmm. So what we do by going out into the community, you know, there's a, there's a lot of companies that do, you know, quote unquote outreach, which I don't even want to say it's a dirty term. It's a well-intentioned term. Right. But what we're basically saying is that I have something and, and you need it and you don't even know that you need it. Right. And what I think is that we have something to share. We have a tool for empathy and for community. I think there's nothing more powerful than sitting in a room and experiencing opera, theater, ballet, whatever, mm -hmm. experiencing something that shows you someone else's worldview, going to the movies, honestly, like right. we need to experience art together collectively in the same space. And realizing that through the pandemic that we could make all these digital things, we could, you know, we could, we could talk about it a lot online, but there's nothing that's like that real connection. So what we strive to do at Opera Delaware is we align ourselves with organizations that are doing work that we believe in, in the community. So we went to Wilmington Hope Commission a couple of weeks ago for their Arts and Hope events. Wilmington Hope Commission is a fantastic organization that works to lower the rate of recidivism when people are leaving the prison system and coming back into the community. Amazing. So it helps get them set up with jobs, with training, you know, with a place to go. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic community program. And they brought us in to do a, a performance for 20 or so of the men in the program. And when we first arrived, I remember a couple of these men were like, what is this dumb shit about to be? What is happening? <laughs> this big red van has showed up with these people who are going to like sing, okay, sing opera. Okay, cute. And again, what I, the reason that I think we do it different is because the way that that program started is that Brendan and I, unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize that Brendan also was this type of person, but I went and introduced myself to every single man who was at this performance. I told them what was going to happen. I told them like, here I am, like, I'm like you, we're cool. We're on the same page. Like, are you comfy? And then during the performance, you know, the first song, they're laughing, they're participating. If they were in the opera house, someone would have shushed them. Right, right. And then they never would have come back. Right. Instead, they finished, we finished the first song, they're, they're clapping. I said, I can tell you guys are vibing. I can tell you guys, I can tell you're feeling this. I'm going to tell you an important word. If you like a high note, 
If you like the way they sing a phrase, if you get to the end of the piece and you want to celebrate, give me a bravo. I want you to shout out bravo. Then they're part of it. Right. Right. I mean, I'm literally, I'm giving myself goosebumps at yeah, this moment no, because there's it's nothing so more. It's in, it's, we have a power to welcome people in a meaningful way. And if we make it surface, people can tell that it's surface yeah, totally. and they don't believe it. And there's no buy-in from the community. And the same is true from artists. If we don't give artists reason to buy into the show that they're in and we just, oh, you know, yeah. stand here and sing, stand there and sing, but it's not your character, right? Then we're just, we end up with like watered down versions of Maria Callas and Ray Fleming. And, you know, everyone's just doing an impression of right, what they right, think right, it should right, be right. instead like of creating museum, something It's like a museum new. piece. And if that's what we want it to be, opera, it can be that. Right. But opera is alive because opera singers breathe life into it. It's alive because of artists. And we have to honor them and we have to listen to them. And we have to, I mean, really collaborate, really collaborate. Yeah. And not just say, you know, we hear you. But I, I've... I'm sure that you both can attest to this. And I know so many people who have been on, on gigs where you're in a hotel room, you're isolated, and you go to these rehearsals where you're doing someone else's version of this thing that you have slaved for months to prepare and think about and create a character for. Mm -hmm. You're doing someone else's version of this story. If instead we could take the ego out, take the titles out, round table that shit, and let's just make art together. Mm -hmm. How much more profound would it be for the artist? How much more vulnerable could they be? And how much more meaningful would the audience, how much more meaningfully would the audience connect with that? Right. They don't need to know the history of the opera. They need to feel it. Mm -hmm. And they can't feel it if we stifle artists and tell them to dim their humanity. Mm -hmm. Ooh, let me have a second. I know, I know. <laughs> no. uh, Well, yeah, I, there's so many questions that came to my mind, but the one that just came after you said that, like, I find that we were just talking about this, first of all, with another interview about collaboration mm -hmm. on artists and how artists can find it really challenging in a room to speak up. You yes. know, it was just in a show and the conductor was very kind and was like, tell me what you think about this, you know, tempo. And, and I was a cutter, so I was just sort of observing. And, mm -hmm. and there was still, even with his encouragement, this like reluctance to say what they felt their impulses were and mm -hmm. like I just wonder what your experience so far in in Opera Delaware has been to try to encourage that mm -hmm. and to me like it just goes back to I immediately thought about education and how we're not really taught that right from the very beginning mm -hmm. of our of our career and I think it's the people that really truly connect with opera and love it that are able to make it sustainable for themselves. Mm -hmm. That's a, really their inner thing. It doesn't matter like how many mm -hmm. people are like beating down on them, you know? Yep. So, you know, what's been your experience with artists so far to, to go into that realm? Yeah. I think because of how I talk about the arts in general myself, it's separate from my job, but how I talk about artists, you know, I got a lot of advice when I was transitioning into administration of people saying, you know, you can't have a foot in on both sides of it, right? I said, I want to be in charge because I'm going to, I'm going to shake this shit up and I want to change it. And I want to take care of people. So I don't dabble, right? I've made a very clear cut that I'm administration now, but I was also told singers are not going to be your friends anymore. You can't be friends with singers mm -hmm. and do this. And I think that maybe that advice was very valuable a while back. And maybe that advice is very valuable for people who are not like me. And again, it could be hubris. We're recording this now. And if I'm wrong, it's on the record forever that I was wrong. <laughs> but I, I think that that separation between admin and artists yeah. came from not wanting to show favoritism or not wanting to cross any lines, make anyone feel uncomfortable. That separation. I think that separation is the death of collaboration. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think this artist has to know I'm on your side so that you can trust me so that I can give you feedback so that you can give me feedback. Right. Artists have so many ideas about how to better market and connect with communities. Sure. They have so many ideas for the show that they're on in particular about their character, right? And all of this is just left, not even on the cutting room floor. It's not even discussed. Right. It's just conversations that artists are having among each other. Right. And I want to harvest that. I want to like, come to me and talk to me about your mental health struggles. I am here to talk about it all the time. My incredible, incredible mother passed away last month. I talk about grief a lot because coming up, I was told you cannot, that part, you have to tune that out mm -hmm. and make your art. That is, they are interconnected. 
Mm-hmm. Artists that I know who have experienced tremendous loss like that, you have to allow yourself to grieve and process that and come out on the other side a whole person. If you sh- if you shove it down, your art suffers, you suffer as a person and life is too short for that. So I want authentic artists and what I try to do right from the start is to really just vulnerably, honestly, as myself, connect with them. I have really good friendships with our entire cast right now with the six stars of our upcoming production of Cozy. And I work in the room uh, whenever I'm at the office. I work in the room where they're rehearsing and I'm sending my emails, I'm doing my work so that every time there's a break, I can talk to them, I can check in, I can congratulate them. I can celebrate their wins because I don't know. I mean, again, like it could be my little narcissistic ego, but I always felt like when I was in rehearsals and particularly as my anxiety and depression were getting worse, Mm. I felt that I didn't know when I was singing, if people liked what I was doing or not, Mm. if they were happy that they hired me or if they were thinking of someone else, or if I was their second choice or their fourth choice. And for me, the cast that you have is the best cast that you can have. We have to start with that. Mm. It devastates me when, when, people who are trying to create art have to be worried about the mind games, right? It's the, it destroys collaboration. It destroys like artistry and connection. So the cast that we have is a phenomenal cast and the closer that they are with each other and with us, the better they can create together. Mm -hmm. So I try to have very candid conversations with our director, our conductor about the expectations and with the cast about how I want them all to treat each other and to think about me. Fortunately for me, as you know, from Upper Delaware, that's the environment that they've been cultivating for a long time there. Mm -hmm. Like this is not something that I had to come in and revolutionize, but it is something that I want to be on top of and keep improving, Mm -hmm, right? Because they're very aware of it. They're very aware of if you bring in toxicity to the space, what that does to the creative process. Because you have to build, it has to be a space that where there's, where there's like communal trust. Yes. You know, so you can, I mean, our art form requires such a level of vulnerability. And like we talked about how music is healing Mm -hmm. and it can be healing for the artist too, but we have to feel like we can do that work. Yes. You know, on ourselves in the space while we're making art. Mm -hmm. And vulnerability is the only way to take chances, try new things. Right. I mean, it's, it's one thing to to do an imitation of what an opera singer is supposed to be or what an opera is supposed to be. And that's how I, I think you get these watered down versions that you, people don't connect with it. Right. Well, I've worked in multiple places and I'm sure you have too, where like leadership has like outright said, like, don't fuck up because you know, we, there's, you know, you're always replaceable. Mm-hmm. And so like, you, and hilarious. So then you're like, okay, well now I'm, of course, now it's not a mind game. Now you've just laid the cards on the table yep. that like you oh, hired yeah. me, but you're already like ready to mm-hmm. hire someone else if I'm not doing it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Who does that benefit? Nobody. Who, does that get better art because for the, the audience? Artists, the artists feel like they have to make themselves small. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so thank you for your work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> Do you have any visions of the future of working at opera, you know, this is only, was this, is this your second position in admin? Well, I also worked for a little company out in San Diego Opera, Neo. Okay. I worked with them the summer of 2020. Uh, so this was like fully, fully panny, yeah, fully early yeah. pandemic. And we did a virtual, I'm so proud of them. And I'm so proud of what we were able to do. We did a virtual magic flute that we sent green screens to the artists who were spread out across the whole country. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone filmed it on their phones. I mean, it was very, it was very PBS. It was very like, you know, we make what we make, Mm -hmm. but it was exceptional. I mean, it was such a source of joy when we were all so scared and then something to, to hold on to. So as much as I'm, I really think like opera is live. Opera is in person, but to have that to look back on as, as such a, a point of pride and such an amazing point of collaboration that everyone worked so hard, you know, from, from the, the sprites, you know, the spirits, the armored men, like everyone really just took so much ownership of it and so much pride in what they were doing. So uh, yeah, I want to build a lot of, collaborative work like that. I love that. Um, So yeah, so this is technically, I guess, my third position in administration. And I will just to lay my cards out on the table, like my goal is to essentially make a commune for artists. Like I, I want a space where artists are for a year, where it's a whole 
a whole mess of artists. I want lighting designers. You know, we talk a lot about how we're looking for technical designers, lighting designers, set designers who are people of color. We can't, we can't find them, quote unquote. We can't find them. But what we can do is we can train them. Mm -hmm. What we can do is we can give them an opportunity to work with us for a year to train with someone at the Grand, at this big opera house, to get this experience. And then we're cultivating the people that we hire. It's the same way that you cultivate a young artist program. Theoretically, you should be cultivating artists that you believe in so that you hire them back. Right. That's what we should do with our... As young artists again and again and again. Right? (laughs) Until they've dried up. Right? right? Until you're like, you're 35 and you can't be Despina anymore. And okay, bye. Like, it's such a... We're living we're, life right now. We're cannibalizing. <laughs> we're cannibalizing our own industry right. and our own artists by doing stuff like that. And what I don't think people realize is you're cannibalizing future opera supporters. Because if opera betrays me and makes me feel like I'm thrown out, like I'm I'm not worthy anymore, right. why would I go to the opera? Right. Why would I donate to the opera? Why would I be on an opera board? Right. Opera singers should be on opera boards. They should be opera donors. They should be opera patrons, but we drive them out when we treat them like they're replaceable. Replaceable, right. Yeah. I mean, how many singers, I mean, do we all know? I'm sure like I can, I can fill a hand with the people I know who left opera in the pandemic because yeah. they felt betrayed by the industry when they, so many companies just like said force majeure yes, and didn't pay them any stipend. And mm-hmm. they were like, and now I can't pay my mortgage, mm-hmm. you know, and they left the field. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so like we make the art happen. Yes. <laughs> you're not a product, you're a person. Right. Yeah. Right. Sometimes we get stuck in our ideas and creations, not knowing the next step. We all have so much creativity to offer, but can get tied in knots with decisions and the need for approval. EM2 Connects Business is to help you get untangled and discover your creative identity and vision. Emily Martin and Elizabeth McDonald are the creators behind EM2. As ideators and performers, they have sung and taught worldwide. In the past few years, too many artists have asked them, what do I do next? What was their answer? Their answer was EM2 Connect. They are raising the collaboration to the power of two and on a mission to support, connect, educate, and inspire the arts community. From one-on-one coachings to creative collectives, They have the tools to help you make sense of your creativity. Head to their website at www.em2connect.com. That's www.em2connect.com to learn more about how you can build the creative world you want to live in. Yeah, and I love the collaborate to bring it back to also collaboration because I think sometimes too, opera singers are not really connected to shows that they do and mm-hmm. then when they do need to leave or even take a break or go get a job that is more stable for them for whatever reason they don't go and see the operas because they mm-hmm. were never con- that connected, connected to them unless they were singing them themselves mm-hmm. you know? right they or have no even... stories that i feel like reflect them unless they embody that character mm-hmm. you know i'm a community organizer in my like my volunteer work that i do and you know when i go out to a company like i want to be engaged in the community that i'm in and yes. so many times you go on a contract and like you say like you're in the hotel room and like the company doesn't engage you in the rest of the work that they're doing mm-hmm. you're just there sometimes you're just there to sing and i think that's also just like a loss of you know like I've only had one opera company and it was post pandemic. So like these conversations are now happening. Ask me like straight up in like a pre-show questionnaire about like, what are my links in terms of like my ethnic identity and my mm-hmm. heritage? And like, do I have, do I have experience with community engagement? Would I be interested in being involved mm-hmm. in the opera mm-hmm. companies out like community engagement? I like, I love yes. that term better than outreach. Yes. Yeah. Language is so important you know, be in, involved in those efforts while I'm there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is, yes, like, please give me these questions. Like, yes. yeah, I'm Latinx. Like, I have an Irish last name, but I'm Puerto Rican. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, if you have a, if you have a Hispanic audience that you're trying to cultivate, or if you want to just like get me in a room while I'm there, mm-hmm. because you don't have anything set up and you want to talk with me about like, well, what ideas do you have yes. for how to engage that community? Like, please, like, mm-hmm. let me, let us all share each other's wealth because we all have that. I love that. So much to offer. So before our artists came here for Cozy, I did send out a, a questionnaire. And we also put together a list of, you know, restaurants, coffee shops, massage parlors, yoga, play, like places yeah. we could get them discounts, places we could get them hooked up to embed them in the community. 
you gotta go get your nails done. I got three places for you. They're great. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I saw. Like, <laughs> <amazing. I'll> tell <laughs> you later. Um, but yeah, I also wanted to know how comfortable are you engaging on social media? How comfortable are you being interviewed, being on a podcast? Mm -hmm, Do you want to talk about this? Do you just want to do your work? Right. Right? There are different ways to engage with anyone. The same is true. I think about donors and board members. It's almost like a bystander effect that we see. If you just throw something out and say, Hey, board members, we want you to support this thing. We want you to be more involved. They assume someone else is going to be more involved. If you say, hey, artists, we want someone to do an Instagram takeover. We want someone to... You're like, okay. Someone else is going to do that. You have to make a connection with people. Look them in the eyes and say, this is... I want you to to do this. I want to know how you're comfortable. How do you like to express yourself? Are you a writer? Do you like to off-the-cuff talk? You know? Right. Or or no. Right. Or no. However, it's going to make you feel more connected to us. Right. That's the most important right. thing, more connected to us and more connected to the community. Right. And what a lesson, I think, for artists, too, especially younger artists that oftentimes are not comfortable mm-hmm. sharing anything on mm-hmm. social media, like, about process or about, like, anything except for, like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Look yeah. at me and I am hired. Mm-hmm. And they are terrified to share. So, like, what a lesson to them to to see, like, oh, I never thought about sharing, like, how do I express myself besides mm-hmm. just in the, on the stage, right. you know, Absolutely. a really, a really useful learning, a learning opportunity for the artist too. Yeah. I mean, and, and the fact that you give like a spectrum of options, I think is just so kind in terms of also then being open to everyone's different comfort levels, mm-hmm. you know, like not everybody's going to want to do no, like, some it. Some people have like, yeah, some yeah. people have crippling social anxiety Definitely. and they don't feel like they can talk about that or right. they're, you know, like on the spectrum and they're like <laughs> awkward around people. And mm-hmm. so like big rooms of people are not my thing, but yeah. a podcast is mm-hmm. like, right. you know, it, it'll, it's, it buys, gets away from like the ableism. I think that can often unintentionally end up in some Absolutely. of those efforts too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that what I've really enjoyed is, showing people that there are different ways to to engage there are different ways to connect there are different ways to to show up for this thing that you care about opera is not as we were saying like it's not this thing that lives in a museum it can be if we want to just go listen to old vinyl and we want to listen to recordings we we have that option if you want opera to matter now the people who are making it have to matter they have to be at the at the pinnacle, because that's how we're connecting with audiences. When I did a production of Marriage of Figaro in Memphis, we had a majority uh, POC cast. Great. This was 2017. We had a black orchestra and the audience for the first time that I've seen demographically represented what Memphis is, right? Mm-hmm. Because not only was it the instrumentalists, it was the people who were telling you the story. It's all of that if we just give lip service and say, we want this, Mm -hmm. but we don't back it up, Mm -hmm. people see through that. It's a charade and people see through it. People Mm -hmm. are not, they don't need to know a ton about opera to know when the wool is being pulled over their eyes, you know? Right. I have to ask, you are a former opera singer and that's like the first thing on your Instagram. Yes. And I think you sort of spoke to that, like Mm -hmm. the reason, like in our conversation now, like I think I understand a little bit of your reason, but... Mm -hmm do you miss singing and how did you, you know, how, what was that kind of transition like for you on just like a level of getting away from singing, I guess, yeah. and not singing anymore. Mm-hmm. So in the summer of 2019, that's when I got really into therapy. I stopped drinking, got off my hormonal birth control. Cause all that was just like butsing with yeah, yeah. my whole energy. It was not a good look. Mm-hmm. And I really focused on like being in the present moment. What do I need? How do I feel good? And I think truly fast forwarding the pandemic really like it, sh- it shined a light for me on what it is that I care about in my life. Cause what I care about genuinely is doing shit like this. I care about talking about change and making change. Mm-hmm. When I was singing, I didn't have the power that I felt that I needed to be effective. Mm-hmm. And now I think that for me, it's, it's not that I, miss singing or I don't I love singing but the second part of my thing is former opera singer eternal opera hype girl that's how I that's how I describe myself on my Instagram right um because what I always loved about it more than more than just me singing was I loved like seeing people who needed just a little bit of encouragement 
seeing artists who needed just a little bit more support, like celebrating what you're great at. I love that. I love connecting with my colleagues in that way. Not in a bullshit fluff way that I'm going to tell you that your trill is great if it's whack, but like there is something (laughs) amazing about what you do. It doesn't, I don't need you to to be perfect. Mm -hmm. I need you to be real and connect. And so if I see that you are amazing at um, the way you deliver your retrotips, right? Even if the aria, if you feel the aria is a flop, but I say to you, the way that you deliver that retrotips, the way that you communicate, the acting that you're doing in that Mm -hmm. is so vibrant. It carries the story. I love that moment that you're doing. People just want to be seen. Mm -hmm. It's true for the audience. It's true for the donors. It's true for the artists. They Mm -hmm. just want to be seen and appreciated. So it's not that I, I knew that I didn't want to leave singing angry at it. And, and the last year I did the witch and the mother in Hansel and Gretel. I did Leonore in Trovatore. It was, I think, some of the best singing that I ever did in my career because for the first time I was being truthful with the people that I was collaborating with and saying, like, I'm not going to give you surface bullshit, sunshine and rainbows, Carrie Ann. I'm going to I'm going to tell you where I'm at today and we're going to make art regardless. Right. Um, And so I was able to be more vulnerable and and I think be so much more effective. So I didn't leave because I hated it. I left because I knew I could make a difference in other people's lives. And I just think the only thing that matters in life, not to be morbid, we're all going to die. I don't know if you know this, Um, (laughs) but the only thing that matters is making a connection and impacting people. Cause when we're gone, I want to know that even if you only saw me for one day, even if we only worked together for a month, that I had a positive impact on your life and I made you feel good about yourself because you deserve that. Yeah. 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 I love that. Great. Very good. And I I just want to say, like, shout out, like how, how amazing it is, how just, you know, intentional and and just open you've been about this whole transition in your life too, Mm -hmm. because, you know, you know, the old, the old trope in the industry is that the people who leave singing kind of just like disappear Mm -hmm. and no, and there's like, whispers yes. that happen to them and it's right. like oh well they couldn't they make couldn't it. make it mm-hmm. or something something mm-hmm. like it's always you know and it's just like no like you it's always a the- them thing and not an industry thing right right <laughs> yeah right well, yes yeah. and and like i think change is hard and singing is an identity mm-hmm. i think for many people for most singers i think even if it's not their full identity it's definitely a large part of them mm-hmm. because it's something that you like get really positive feedback from and becomes something that is part of you that people like. Mm-hmm. And so to like, let go of that, you know, like cry is like, you know, it's hard to yeah. do that. Of so course. it's like, and then when people no, talk about it, baby girl, about it. this is important. Yeah. This is valuable. When people like, you know, leave opera, I get like kind of sad because they had something that connected them to that. Mm-hmm. And then, they just couldn't find the reason yeah. that connected them. Mm-hmm. Right. And they think it's like just not their identity anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a big thing that has been really important for me in, in therapy, and this takes so much work, especially as a singer, but it's been really, really valuable, is that I work very hard to divorce myself from the things that I make, the things that I create, and my ideas. Mm-hmm. I have great pride and ownership in the things that I make. And I say this specifically to singers because I know what it feels like to have a sore throat and feel like you don't know who you are anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I know what it feels like to have a cold and feel like under the weather for a while. We're not you singing can, for six months. So you know, like, who am who I? Am I? <laughs> what, what, do I, what do I do? Who am I? Right. It's, it's a complete loss of self. So what I try to do is live in this right here in this present moment so that If I said something, if I had an idea, if I had a thought, if I created something and you have feedback for me on how I can make it better, the trust that we have built means that you can give me feedback on that without it negatively affecting me as a person, without it hurting me. You can give me feedback on that because we believe in the same thing and we're trying to grow together. I think that to your point about when singers leave, it's because they don't have that connection anymore. They don't have the connection to the music they don't have connection to the people that they're making the music with. They have friendships that are really intense for a couple of weeks when you're on a gig and then you don't see these people for years, mm-hmm. right? You don't feel tethered to anything. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important to, from the get, from the jump, for me as an administrator, to be my most authentic, vulnerable, 
honest self, to be as enthusiastic as I am, to be as truthful as I am, to connect with you in the most real way so that you can have that real connection with me so I can tether you. Mm-hmm. Not to Opera Delaware, but to the art form. Mm-hmm. So you feel a connection wh- wherever you are. You know, I have artists that I worked with at Opera Neo that I never met face-to-face, who I still have a strong relationship with. One of the, this amazing, amazing singer is currently at Juilliard and she is a phenom. I'm like, I'm so excited for her future. And she still feels that connection to me because I took a genuine interest in who she was as a person, not as a product. Mm -hmm. And I really got to know her. And Dane, my husband, is the same way. So I think, honestly, I think it's a great power couple vibe that both of us are, we genuinely believe in this. We think that we can make meaningful connections with people that are going to last longer than our lifetimes. And that's what I want to do. Well, and with Dane, you know, like, and that's so true. So I'll, I'll anecdotally speak to your vibe. Yeah. <laughs> because Dane and I worked together in like 2014 mm-hmm. and I had like, he jumped in at the last minute to fill a role in an opera I was doing. And like, he had just like this, such, such a wonderful personality. And then he was talking to me about you because you mm-hmm. were at WNO mm-hmm. and we shared teachers. Somehow we were connected because Bill Stone mm-hmm. connected all three of us mm-hmm. somehow. So, and then I, he like got me to follow you and we've just, I've just followed him on Instagram. And like, I feel so connected to like his success in a way, like vicariously, <laughs> just only because I'm like, I've watched him come up and it's like mm-hmm. so exciting. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel, you know, so I think sometimes we can feel really jealous of our colleagues. Yeah. Who, who do better than mm-hmm. us you know but like there was such collegiality that it's like this I feel like this this thread of friendship even though we haven't had a, a yes. conversation yeah. with each other in like <laughs> almost 10 years <laughs> mm-hmm. so I also feel like I kind of know you because on Instagram okay. for so long <laughs> but you know it's it's hard because when you follow people on socials you first of all you you really think that you know them but right. you only know the version of them right. as we all know right. that they want you to see right. and that can be really it can be really empowering to cultivate how you want to be seen, but it can be really damaging to see other people's cultivated images and think and compare your life to yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. And so I, I, I just think that opera, that the arts, it's based in vulnerability. It's based in honesty. For me, that means it's based in, in sharing on social media. I share very vulnerably yeah. how I feel and, and what I think. That doesn't mean that everyone needs to, not everybody's Instagram needs to be their live journal, right? It doesn't, it doesn't need to be like where you put all your, but you don't have to be anything other than who you are. There's, I shouldn't make broad statements like that because there are people who want to only hire opera singers who have a huge following, right? They want people with a huge Instagram, whatever presence. I don't think that that translates to ticket sales. I don't think it moves the needle. I don't think it makes any difference, but you should. Their followers are. Right. What makes you special as an artist is what makes you special as a human being. You cannot pretend to be a different person than you are because that's what you do professionally on stage. You embody another person. In your real life, the way that you represent yourself and the way that you meet people, you have to be authentic. You have to be able to be vulnerable. It's our job as administrators to cultivate a space to prepare a room where that's possible. You can't just say to singers, go into the room and show me your authentic self when you don't know who's going to be on the other side of that table. It it could not be people like me. It could be people who were very 20 years ago and that's their vibe. And if you want to work for them, God bless you. Just know what that room is going to be like. We have to set realistic expectations for what this industry is like. We have to be honest. We have to be honest with upcoming singers about what they're going to face and the moves that we're making to change it, mm-hmm. right? Right. I mean, like, even if, even if we know it's not going to, we're we know we're not happy with it. Let's say there's a company that still charges uh, application fees. I think criminal, but I don't vibe with it. I think that it's a bad look to charge application fees. Mm-hmm. I think it's a different thing if we're talking about charging a pianist fee, mm-hmm. right? For if you get the audition, but if 500 people apply from you and you take fifty dollars from each of them and then you hear eighty of them. How is that not a scam? Yep. For me, that's a scam. Yep. I, I don't need people to immediately act to, to change this industry. I need people to incrementally act to improve this industry. Right. I need people to see the problems, to acknowledge them, to talk about them, to listen to artists. What makes it difficult for you to get to auditions? What prohibits you from, from living this life that you want to live? 
What's standing in your way? How can I break down those barriers? That's my job. Right. Right. And it only works if we actually listen to people, right. you know? Yeah. Well, and, and like, even on, on like another facet of this conversation, even it's just like that vulnerability that's necessary, you know, that also br- like brings, like, we have to realize too, that that also means that we're going to have artists who are coming in the room, trying to be their authentic selves and realizing that like they have a lot of unmasking to do. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to need a space. Like certainly the rehearsal room isn't a ther- therapeutic mm-hmm. space, but it, it can be in a way, mm-hmm. right. But it's not, it's not the replacement for therapy. Yes. <laughs> Go to therapy. <laughs> Go to therapy. Y'all. We all need it. You know, but like, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm 36 you know, and like late in my life, I've come to realize that I'm queer, mm-hmm. that I'm genderqueer, mm-hmm. that I'm probably neurodivergent. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm exploring that now with my therapist and I'm like doing all of this unmasking work and being like, okay, so 10 years ago, I thought I was being my authentic self, but I actually have no idea mm-hmm. who I was because I had had to spend so much of my life hiding. Yeah. And I came to opera because it felt like a space that was big enough for all of me. And it's like the, the companies that I keep going back to to work with are the ones who have a space where I feel like I can explore parts of myself in mm-hmm. my work, mm-hmm. you know, and bring my collaborative self and try ideas out and be like, does this drive with who I am? Yeah. You know, or that's powerful. Yeah. That's a powerful realization. And I think the only, what I always tell myself is the only constant in life is change. And the only, the only bad thing, the only thing that I try to avoid is stagnation in, in my life, in my relationships. You know, it's not about climbing to the next level work-wise or uh, accumulating wealth. It's about growing as a person in this one short life that I have, right? right? So more self-discovery, getting to know my husband in a more meaningful way, my cultivating my relationships, building and volunteering, getting more involved with the community, building a real relationship with the community. But all of that has to start from real self-knowledge. Right. And that ability to really explore who you are and feel comfortable expressing who you are. I think we're at a a huge turning point culturally with that. I think that there are so many people clamoring for that because otherwise, honestly, without art, without expression, we're just worker bees in a capitalist society, right? right? We're just making money for someone who's higher up than us in the level. And I saw this incredible meme that was like, Imagine that we could all just be eating figs and sitting on a beach, but instead we have credit scores, you know? Like, right? <laughs> oh my God. Like life is what you choose to make it and the things that you choose to focus on. There are things right. that we have to deal with, but I choose to find so much gratitude in getting to work with artists and getting to introduce people to opera and getting to honestly take care of y'all and, and protect you and listen to you and be part of these conversations, be someone that you know that you can come to because there aren't enough people like that and what you do is is magical but also not understood right sometimes people in leadership sometimes people on boards they don't know what your life is like and you're told to put on a pretty dress and go sing Omi Babino Caro at a donor event and they don't know that you know your mom passed and they don't know that you can't pay your rent this month and they don't know that you as an artist as a human being Right. And I, I, I honestly think that these people, maybe not all boards, maybe not all administrators, but I think that there are enough of us who want to know that side of you, who want to help because that's the way for you to be able to create more meaningful art and for you to grow as a person. And that's all we should want for each other as people is growth, right. And joy in your life, as much joy as you can have. Right. Yeah. Ooh, is it therapy? Are we doing therapy right now? (laughs) feels oh like therapy, gosh. I think. Yeah, thank you so much for coming and talking with us. This was great. My yeah. pleasure. So yes. My pleasure. Thank you. We could go on forever. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll have a reprise. Yes. Opera hype girl. Eternal <laughs> opera hype girl. Yes. I'll always talk yes. about it. So in case any of our listeners do not know where they can find you, and we will post this all in the show notes as well, where on the socials can people find you? Yes. You can definitely check me out on Instagram and TikTok. Carrie Ann, OMG on the platforms. So my first name, K-E-R-R-I-A-N-N-O-M-G. And I'm all about Instagram and TikTok. But you know, if you're a little bit of an older crowd, you can for sure still find me on Facebook. Don't worry about it. I'm still on there too. Oh, okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the My So-Called Opera Life podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode and want to help us keep making more, because this content creation shit ain't free, y'all, you can show us some love by rating and reviewing the podcast. This helps get the word out to more badass artists. Share with a friend. Word of mouth is the best advertising and a free way to support us. Double win for empowering your colleagues and being a responsible follower. Buy us a coffee. Fuel our coffee obsession and our Instagram live coffee chats with a one-time donation of any amount. Or bust that starving artist myth by becoming a sustaining Patreon member. This option is so impactful to the ongoing creation of our podcast that we offer you early access to ad-free episodes and more. You can become a member for as little as $3 a month. Still can't get enough of us and want to add your voice to the conversation? Join us over on Instagram at Podcast. This podcast is edited by Joshua Wise and produced and hosted by Elise Mark and Marcel McGurk. Stage Time is the professional hub for the performing arts and is a growing community of 4,000 plus opera singers and classical musicians, arts administrators, agents, production staff, and beyond. Set up a launch-ready portfolio in under 10 minutes. A growing list of over 100 arts organizations accepts a Stage Time profile in lieu of a website URL. Unlike a static website, Stage Time allows you to connect with collaborators, showcase your skills, source or be sourced as the right talent, and center your creative practice. Stage Time is available on any web browser or on the App Store and on Google Play. Search Stage Time to stay connected to colleagues, mentors, students, and friends from anywhere in the world. The arts industry is waiting for you on Stage Time.